Everybody ready for some word today? Good deal. Good deal. Let's go over to the book of Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah. Almost right in the middle. A little bit right of middle. Jeremiah, the 29th chapter. I want to take a few moments today and pick up where we left off last week. Is anybody hungry? Is anybody hungry for the Word? (laughs) Amen. Jeremiah chapter 29 Verse 13 reads this way, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Everybody say, all your heart. When will a person find the Lord? Well, one, when they seek Him. But secondly, when they seek Him a certain way with all their heart. So it's possible for an individual to not find the Lord even though he's not hiding. But it's very possible for a person to go through life and never find the Lord. And then it's possible for for an individual to seek the Lord in a way that they would consider a legitimate seeking, I guess, and not find the Lord if they don't seek with all their heart. There are people, there are individuals who find the Lord in all His glory and all His wisdom and might and power and love and provision, but they do approach Him a certain way. They approach Him with a certain level of of desire, of consecration and commitment. Let me remind you of this again from the, the Message Bible. The Message Bible reads this way, When you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yes, When you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. God's decree. When will we not be disappointed? When will we find everything we're looking for? When we get serious about finding Him. So not a... A haphazard, lackadaisical, just kind of approach to God. Hey, Lord, what's up? Bam, bam. We're just kind of, you know, we're just uh, chilling with the Lord. No, when we get serious about finding Him, then we will. The, uh, The Amplified Bible reads this way. Then you will seek me, inquire for and require me. As a vital necessity, and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So vital, absolutely necessary. When God becomes absolutely essential and necessary to sustain your life. Not an additive, not something or someone we're just kind of including along with our plan and our, 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 our life. But no, He becomes necessary for existence, for survival. Then, guess what? We find Him. We get Him. I made this statement to you last week, that if you can live without the Lord, you will. But if you can't, you won't. And you'll seek, and you'll find, and you'll get everything that He has in His heart for you to experience in life. And then I want to remind you of this as well. 
uh, from 1 Kings 18.21, when there was the showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And, and, and Elijah said to the people, he said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, follow Him. But the people answered him, Not a word. And so he said, Man, what are you going to do? Choose. You going this way, you going that way. You going to follow the Lord, you going to follow this some other God, but you've got to make up your mind. How many know that in the scripture wavering has never been spoken highly of? Never do we see praise to one who's unsure, uncertain. Never do we see someone held up as an example when they are uncertain of what they're going to do, what their future, who they're beholden to, what their what their uh, their firm com- conviction is. Now, understand this, probably all of us have been in that place at some point in time in our life, or maybe some are uh, today as we are here, uncertain about some things. Uh, But again, that's not what's praised. That's not what's held up as an example. Those are the type of situations where someone must pass through that. You know, like the 23rd Psalm said, uh, talking about, Um, I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. How many know that's different than I will set up camp in the valley of the shadow of death? Huh? I mean, many people have been through that valley in their life, but you do not want to live there. I've met those individuals too. Hmm? I mean, I think they live there. I think that's their home address. It's not even a vacation home. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, they're, they're there all the time. Every time you talk to them, every time you're around, something else is Bam! There's always a storm, always a struggle, always a fight. How many know there's something wrong with the way we're doing life if that's the case? Because I tell you, that's not the will of God for you. It's not His plan for your life. If you're in it, He wants to, he wants to bring you out. huh? If you're in the middle of temptation, the Bible says that He has made a way of escape. He didn't make a way to leave you there. Even when Paul was being persecuted and, and, and you know, they'd throw rocks at his head and they, it'd be a, a revival or a riot everywhere he went and, and there was just constant chaos and, and he recognized that, that there was this assigned demon sent to his life to stir up all this mess. And when he talked to the Lord about it and the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. That didn't mean, uh, some people read that and they think that, yep, God wants you to stay right there and suffer and deal with all this stuff and just, uh, he'll kind of help you to survive in the middle of it never God's plan he wanted Paul want, God wanted Paul to use his grace to get out of the situation to use his ability and power to overcome the circumstance and I tell you that's the way he wants things for you and I today he wants us to go up he wants us to move forward he wants us to continue on and not remain in a position of death of some but he also doesn't want us to remain or continue in a position of uncertainty I don't know maybe might be. Hope so. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, a, a, a severe lack of conviction. How many know true beliefs are shown by actions? When someone really believes something, you can see it. When, when we talk about our personal beliefs in the Lord, what, what we believe to be true and right about God, um, I, I think it would be worthy of examination. Lest we find ourselves having a statement of faith that's tucked away in our Bible, that's put on the wall, that's put in a book, but that's all it is. And when someone uh, observes our life 
they cannot, they're not certain of, of where we stand by observation, they would have to ask. They would have to inquire. So what do you believe? And then, then, if we gave them our list of beliefs, I believe these things are true about the Lord and about me, then it would cause much confusion. You really believe that? I mean, think about it for a moment. We believe, for example, hopefully, that God loves us. Remember, God so loved the world and He gave His only Son. We believe that God loves us. Is, is there evidence in your life that you believe that, that you are loved by God? Could someone observe you, someone, not just from a distance, but someone who spent some time with you, would they know that you believe that you're loved of God? And not just because you talk about it, not, that might be part of it, but how you behave, how you conduct yourself. Do you, would it appear that you're in opposition or you feel like something's against you, like God is somehow uh, against you? Remember the Apostle John wrote the book of John, the Gospel of John? He, he referred to himself. He wouldn't call himself John. <laughs> he called himself the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He had a revelation, didn't he? He was loved by the Lord. Well, could, could that be seen? Someone said, I believe Jesus is the healer. I believe He is my healer. Do you? Do you? Would someone on the outside looking in, would they recognize that that's your, that that's your belief? Would someone observing your life, not just reading your statement of faith, would they see, would they, would they look at you and say, yeah, that person believes Jesus is their healer. Or would they come to the opposite conclusion and say, well, no, that person pretty much relies on the world. <laughs> but they got a good statement. I mean, they got their verbiage down. Bam. It is good. They believe all the right things. Kind of. You know, someone says, I believe the Lord is my, is my forgiver. That he, is, he, he has forgiven my sins. Well, is that observable? Or is there a life of guilt and condemnation or really can it be seen that you live and you think and you walk around like a forgiven person i mean oh, a forgiven person is a free person yeah it's not proud it's not arrogance it's uh but it is it is free and you can see it you can see when a person has that confidence that they stand right before god everything's fine everything's gonna be okay because the lord is on my side and, and we could talk about many things that the, you know, we say the Lord is our helper. The Holy Spirit is our helper. Are you helper? Do you look like a helped person or a helpless person? A helpless person is constantly dragging on other people to help them and lift them up. But a person who is helped by the Lord, I tell you what, you can tell. There is a, there, there, there is a, 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 an, an assurance there that, I, that I'm going to be able to succeed and, and do well in life. He, he, how many believe the Lord is ever present? I mean, He's always with us. Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Does it look like that? Man, that person, they just, it, it's like they believe someone else is with them. It's like they believe some really strong and powerful and wise and mighty person is there present. Does your prayer life look like, help! Or, Father, thank you, you're with me always. You're here with me today. Do you pray as if God's in the room or if he's far away? Does it seem like he's distant? 
You know, are your, are your prayers filled with, Lord, be with me? <laughs> Do you pray for others? Lord, be with them. Well, because that's what that says is you have a statement of faith that says the Lord is ever present. He never leaves us or forsake us, forsakes us. But in, in practical reality, you believe that he's far. You believe that he's distant and I have to ask him to come with me. I have to ask him to be with me. Sure is quiet in this. Uh, what kind of church? <laughs> huh? Amen. Do you believe that the Lord is your provider? Well, can that be observed? Do you think like that? Do you speak like that? Does it does it come out of your pores? Does it come out of your your, your being? What I'm t- what I'm getting at is is getting to a place where we're not going back and forth, where we're not inconsistent, where we're serious about what we believe. And if something, if I find something in His Word, if I find that something is true about God, I'm going to commit my life to that truth. Too many times people say, I'm committed to the Lord. Well, fine, that's a good statement. I'm committed to the Lord. But specifically, what does that mean? What does that mean in your life? How does that play out? How does that make your life different from the person who doesn't believe in the Lord? And it's got to come down to some specifics. To where I say, yes, I believe God, I believe in God, I believe I'm I'm forgiven, I believe I'm saved, I believe I'm washed in in the blood of Jesus, I believe He provides for me, He sustains my life, He heals my body and provides for me, He meets my every need, He lifts me up continually. Come on. Or, Or other things. I mean, there's so many things we could put in a list there, but not just... I believe in the Lord and I'm just committed to the Lord. Now what specifically? How has He moved your life to be different from the way you were before? And if there's not much change, I think it's time to get serious. I think it's time to get serious about the things of God. I think it's time to let the words of God be, uh, be so ingrained in us, be so a part of our life that it, it, it becomes our normal way of thinking. It, it's kind of like the, the principles of meditation. Uh, I mean, no, meditation is a Bible thing. It's not just, you know, some Eastern religion and, boom, you know, meditating on nothing and open yourself up to whatever's out there. Uh, no, meditation is a biblical principle that actually, um, I didn't even plan on teaching this, but I'll add it to next service now too because I think it's good. Uh, but it comes from a word that means, uh, if you look it up, that means to mutter. All right. In other words, when a person meditates on something, um, there uh, it involves saying something, but it, it involves uh, thinking about something again and again. The idea is 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 almost like uh, the digestive system of a cow. Anybody have a cow? All right. <laughs> I used to be around a lot of cows, and. Uh, and something that was interesting with uh, with with cows is that you know they they'd be up uh, with you know stanchions and so forth and they put their head through there and eat their hay and grain and and everything and then later on you'd see them back in the in the corral and and they'd be sitting be out there laying and you'd see their mouth going like they're chewing on gum like they who get who get them bubble gum <laughs> and uh, the cows are out there chewing away it's like what are they eating you know what they're eating. It's kind of nasty, huh? They're eating what they already ate. It's because of their multiple stomachs and how they digest. The food goes down, then it comes back up, and they chew it again. And it goes down, it comes back up, and they chew it again. 
And after a period of time, the food is digested and it stays down and it becomes a part of their, you know, their systems, I guess. Uh, how many are glad that we don't do things that way? <laughs> but really what that's a picture of is the Word of God and meditating, meditating on things that are true and things that are right is, is we, from a spiritual perspective and a mental perspective, is we grab hold of, a, of truth and we think upon it, we say it, we ponder it, and it goes down. But how many know after a while, when you do that, it will come back up? I pray that what I'm saying here today, after a little while today, it's going to come back up. What do you do? Dismiss it because you're not in church anymore. No, chew on it again. Chew on it again. Ponder it some more. Think about it. Talk about it. Let it be in your heart and in your mind and in your mouth. And as you do, it, it goes back down. And then later, what happens? It comes back up. It comes back up again. And you think about it, and you ponder it, and you talk about it, and you let these things uh, become a part of your life. And eventually, these things will come in, and they'll stay down, and they'll be a part of you. And it'll be, as a, it'll be a normal way that you live. You, you, you all remember, uh, uh, you know, one of those classic movies from the 80s, The Karate Kid. You know The Karate Kid, Wax On, Wax Off? And uh, I, I remember that show, in, in that show... Uh, Miyagi was teaching Daniel, or Daniel-san, karate. And of course, Daniel-san goes to Miyagi's house, and Miyagi starts working him like a slave. (laughs) Basically telling him that he had to paint the fence, and he would tell him exactly how to do it. He'd tell him, you know, paint like this and paint like this. And he'd give him exact instructions how to paint and how to breathe while he's painting. And he painted this whole fence. And, and, and then uh, another day he came, showed up and he's ready for his karate lesson. And he says, sand the deck. <laughs> you know, he had to sand the deck. And he had to do it a certain motion, certain way. And, and just a whole big boatload of work. And what else did he do? He had to paint. Paint the house and then wax the car. That's the one we all remember. He had to clean his cars. In fact, I think that was the first one. Uh, he, had to, he had these old cars there and he told them, wash all the cars and then wax the cars and wax on, wax off. And of course, by the time they got to like the third or fourth job, third or fourth day, uh, Daniel was not very happy with Miyagi, right? Now I'm here, here to learn karate and he's yelling at him and all this kind of stuff. And then Miyagi starts throwing punches. And he says, show me wax on, show me wax off. And he starts, you know, throwing punches and Daniel, without really thinking about it, goes bam, bam, you know, and he has these motions now ingrained into him. So he knows how to, how to defend and use these, uh, these moves uh, to defend against the strikes against him. That's kind of like what we ought to do with the things we say we believe. We stay on it. We meditate on them again and again and again. And we get these things until they are a part of us, until the enemy strikes or the world around us, the chaotic world comes against us. And without thinking, it is written. We do like Jesus did in the, when he was tempted in the wilderness. The words of God come out of our mouth. And before you know it, people around us don't have to ask us what we believe. They know what we believe. It is obvious to them what's important to us because it comes out without effort, comes out without trying. Amen. You see, um, the, the Lord is going to lead us in life in relation to where we are. 
in accordance with our faith. You remember Jesus would say that to different individuals. He said, he said, be it unto you according to what? According to what? You guys aren't responding. According to your faith. He didn't say, be it unto you according to my faith. Jesus. He didn't say, be it unto you according to God's will. How many know that will mess your theology up? Well, whatever God wills. No, not whatever God wills. Whatever you believe. God's will is a constant. God's will is not in flux. It's not in question. It's not wavering from day to day. But the experience of mankind is completely contingent upon what they believe about God's will. Amen. And so Jesus would say that. In other words, it's not just about what God has said. That's the starting point. That's the foundation. It is about what we believe about what God said. And if my believing is up to the level of what God said completely, then I'll experience God's best without hindrance. But often people are in a situation in their life where their believing is on a lower level. And so God will, in His great love and mercy, He will work with us where we are. All right? And I hope that doesn't give us permission to just be not serious about the things of God. I know the Lord has helped many people when they weren't getting God's best, but they were still getting help from Him. You know what I mean by that? You know, someone might ask, would the Lord ever lead someone? I mean, direct them by His Spirit to go and have a surgery for something wrong in their body. Now, I can see why that answer would be quiet, because there's a question, hmm, I don't know, I don't want to compromise here. I believe this, that the Lord would lead someone in some situations to do that. Why? Say, well, why, do, why would God ever tell someone to do that when He's the healer? When Jesus bore our sins and our diseases on His own body, in His own body on the tree. And, you know, and by his stripes we're healed. Why would he ever do that? Because it's not all about what he can do. It's about what a person can believe. And if a person is not up to the place where they can be, then God will work with them where they are today and help them to come up. How many know, even though not God's best, and we're not instructed this way, Medical science has helped a lot of Christians stay along, stay alive long enough where they could get God's Word in their heart and start to operate on a higher level. Amen, amen, amen. <laughs> see, you see, the depth of your heart towards God will determine the depth of your experience with Him. And however far you want to go, I tell you, God's willing to go there with you. However much you're willing to open yourself up and get serious about the things of the Lord, the Lord will lead you and take you to places you've never been. But the individuals that continue on a shallow level, God will still love them. He'll still help them to whatever degree He can, and that's just because He's such a good guy. (laughs) I mean, He seriously is so merciful and so kind and so gracious in all of our sometimes carnal and stiff-necked ways. But He will help. He will lead us, He will guide us, and, and he, will, he will work with us. But uh, if a person lives with one foot in the world, they're not going to see God move much. They might see a little. 
But they're not going to see God move much. You know, Hebrews 12, why don't you look at that with me? Hebrews, the 12th chapter. And, uh, and notice with me over here in the, in the 14th verse. Hebrews 12 and verse 14. It reads this way. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue peace right into believers and with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, how many know he's not really talking about here whether someone goes to heaven or hell? He's not really talking about if you don't live a holy life, you are going to hell. Because I would imagine that uh, none of us have lived a perfectly holy life. And so we're all toast, aren't we? But he is talking about without holiness in a person's life, they're going to have, they're going to be blind. They're going to have an absence of seeing. They won't have an ability to see the Lord. They won't have an ability to see the things of God. They'll, they'll be darkened in their perception. They'll be darkened in their revelation of truth that, that has the ability to make them free when, when they know it. And so, uh, he, he said you, you can't, um, you can't have an absence of peace and holiness. You know, much is said in our day about mixing law and grace. Right? I've taught some of that uh, in here, and a lot of people, that's all they talk about, is mixing law and grace, right? And, uh, and how that can be counter, counterproductive and, and it doesn't serve uh, our ability to walk in God's best. What about mixing life and death? What about mixing Christianity and the world? How many know there's a lot of things we can mix that really mess things up? And at the, at the end of the day, people say, well, why isn't it working? It's because you're a clouded mess. <laughs> you're watering down everything that's pure and everything that's true and everything that's right. And it's not the, it's not, it's not the Lord that is, that, that is limiting your life. It is not the Lord that is keeping me back from His highest and His best. But it is this mixture of trying to be one foot in the, in the kingdom and one foot in the world. It is this mixture of... Uh, of life and death and, and I want to avoid watering things down. How many know when we say that though, we have to be very um, absolute. We have to be very direct. We have to be, we have to be very black and white towards things. And a lot of people don't like that. They don't like you to say, this is the way it is and this is the way it's not. Take it or leave it. They want to play around in gray for the rest of their life. Well, kind of. It's subjective and everything's maybe. And those kind of things, those kind of individuals usually don't experience much success in God. Because they don't come to a place of, yes, this is the way it is. This is the way I'm going to live. This is just the way it's going to be from this day forward. And this is what we've got to do. Amen. What are you serious about? What are you serious about in life? I tell you, those who are close to you, they know, might be a good, uh, you know, good test. If we all asked, if you're married, ask your spouse. No, no preconceived ideas. Uh, what would you say I'm serious about in life? What, 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 is, what is really important to me? And uh, it'd be an interesting answer. <laughs> what am I serious about? How many know, again talking about meditation, talking about our thoughts 
you're never going to serve God without getting your mind involved. We're never going to we're never going to get God's best without putting him in our thoughts day and night. Your thought life is the number one hindrance to Christianity. Let's read over uh, I give you a verse over here in Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah the 26th chapter. And, and notice with me over here in verse 3, Isaiah 26, 3. It reads this way, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind occasionally goes to you. Huh? You will keep him in perfect peace who thinks about you at least once a week. Or at least in the morning. No, the person in perfect peace is the one whose mind is, what? Stayed on you because he trusts in you. Why would I keep my mind stayed on the Lord? Because I trust in the Lord. If I don't trust him, then I've got to figure it out. Then I've got to work out every problem and every bad situation in my life. But if I trust Him, I can keep my mind on Him and keep my mind at peace in Him, knowing that everything's going to be okay. Amen. Amen. I found myself recently saying, saying, saying out loud to, in a, to another person in a situation about, about some things. I said, I just happened to say without thinking about it, I said, I'm stuck then. And as soon as I said, I'm stuck, I heard on the inside, if you're stuck, I'm stuck. Do you think I'm stuck? (laughs) I stopped talking. (laughs) Hallelujah. Let me read this to you, this Isaiah 26.3 from the, uh, the Message Bible. People with their minds set on you, you keep completely whole. Steady on their feet because they keep, they keep at it and don't quit. Now, this is, this is the, the, I know this is a paraphrase, this particular translation. So, uh, but it, it's actually, a, did a, they did a good job here. You will keep completely whole. You know, the word peace in the Bible doesn't just mean that I'm uh, I have an absence of turmoil or anxiety in my mind and, and, and not stressed out. It doesn't just mean that. The word peace also means that there's nothing missing, there's nothing broken, there's nothing lacking. It, it's, it really would contain so many things like health and wellness and soundness. And as he says here, completely whole, H-W-H-O-L-E, whole, complete, The person who keeps their mind stayed on the Lord, what happens? The Lord has access to them continually, and He can fix, He can repair, yes, bring a calmness as well, a rest in the Lord, but there is complete healing and restoration. Everything is brought together if we'll keep our minds stayed on Him. The contrast, our mind is in the world. Our mind is on the problem. Our mind is on a circumstance. Our mind is on lack or, or a negative report. And that's where most of us gravitate to. We gravitate towards the flesh and the things of this world. And our minds are all over the place. And occasionally we pull the Lord in. 
But I'm telling you, that's not being serious about seeking the Lord. Being serious is about grabbing hold of your thoughts continually again and again and again until it becomes normal. Right? Uh, sorry, my movements probably aren't looking too coordinated right now. <laughs> but I can you know. Uh, but, but until it becomes normal to us to respond to life and circumstance and people with words of life, with the words of God. But again, I'm telling you, we've got we've to get serious about the things of God or we'll never even get there. Because it's a little bit of work. It takes a little bit of effort. It takes some personal discipline, which of course the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So we've got the ability to do it. But to keep our minds focused on the Lord and the things of God, and again, what we say we believe, what's on our, 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 our statement of faith, but it becomes internalized and then realized practically every day, then observed by those around us until our life is preaching Jesus. Our, our life says He's the provider. Our life says he is, he is the lover of our soul. Our life says He is our healer and our sustainer every day. And then we go to preaching, and I tell you what, your words have power. Then you go to sharing with, the, with people around you about the Lord in your life, and they see, they see it's not just words with this person. It's not just something they memorized. This is something that's real to them. And I tell you, that's what the world is looking for, something real. Let me give you a couple verses here. I'll read them to you. Uh, I want to finish up. Psalm 10, verse 4, it reads, The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. You know why a person is so wicked? This wicked person, why they're wicked? They don't think about God. He's not in their considerations when they're making decisions, when they're making choices every day. They're not thinking about the Lord. They're not, cons- they're not concerned with His will and His ways. Here's an interesting thought. This verse, if you read this verse from the, uh, the King James Bible, King James Version, it, it reads this way, The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God, God is not in, look, all of his thoughts. I think that's a challenging thing. Why is someone wicked? Because God is not in all of his thoughts. In other words, he's an add-on. Or maybe not at all, he's in none of his thoughts. Or maybe he's just not in all of his thoughts. In the time when the Lord is not consuming me, where he's a part of everything I do, or he is everything I do, and everything else is a part. And, uh, and he, he is in all of my thoughts. Well, that's, that's the degree that I allow wickedness from this world to come in and to creep in and to influence me in a negative way. In the, in the eighth chapter of Acts, you remember Philip. Um, he, Philip was an evangelist. And uh, one day he sees the, the guy, the eunuch there in the chariot reading from the scriptures and uh, he goes up there and, and shares with him from Isaiah 53 and about the gospel and and uh, and talks to him about Jesus when he was inquiring what does this stuff mean who is he talking about and he shares with him about Jesus right there from the Old Testament and and when they got done this uh, this this man saw that there was water near and he said there's water what what hinders me from being baptized 
And I always think it's, it's, it's interesting how, how Philip challenged him a little bit in that situation. He didn't say, yeah, let's do it. Come on, let's baptize you today. He, he questioned him on it. He said, well, if you believe with all your heart, then it'd be okay. In other words, if you're just kind of hmm, one foot in, one foot out, now I'm not baptizing you. I mean, how would that go over nowadays? I mean, churches want to, I mean, I know a lot of churches that baptize people that aren't even saved. Because, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to need to question their motive other than it's deception. But the baptized people, could we have people come here? They get born again, get receive their salvation. And they say, but I've already been baptized. I said, you have? You got baptized without receiving the Lord? That was a waste of getting wet. Right? But Peter questioned, or Philip questioned him. He said, if you believe with all your heart, then yes, well, then we'll do it. And they did. And he said, I do believe and so forth. And, and, and how many know that's a, that's a different level of commitment? It's something that in part, almost when, you know, when we do salvation altar calls and so forth in our services and people come forward, there's something about that that, it, you know, it doesn't guarantee. I don't know what's in every person's heart completely, but when someone's willing to, before others, stand up and say, yes, count me in. I think that means something. I think that that can be a revelation that there's something real in a person happening. And it's a real commitment and dedication to the Lord. And so I want to, I want to finish up. I've gone longer than I planned. What are you serious about? What are you serious about in life? You're, you know, your workout? Serious about your career? You serious about, you know, your TV programs that you watch? Are you serious about your coffee? <laughs> Finally, some truth. <laughs> Are you serious about your family? Are you serious about your connection with God? And I'm not saying we can't be serious about more than one thing in life. Many of some of these things are worthy of seriousness. But uh, whenever we're serious about one thing, Here's the, here's the deal. Something else must be neglected in life. We only have so much time and thoughts and, uh, you know, energy and everything. If I'm going to be serious about something, I am going to not be serious about something else in my life. And my serious seeking of, pursuing of the things of God for my life, they are going to require that I neglect something else intentionally. I'm going to choose to leave something off somewhere so that I can seek God with everything within me. I can be serious about the things of God. And if I'm just going to go as is, as normal, the way things have always been, and I'm just going to continue to live my life and add God in, uh, you know, God's merciful. He loves us, but we're not going to get it all. We're not going to, we're not going to experience His best. But that's a choice that we make. What are you willing to intentionally neglect to get serious about finding God? What will you lay on the altar? What needs to die? And if you can identify something to lay aside to give God that place where He then consumes your life and, and he, is the, he is the very reason that you live and He is the vital necessity for your sustenance, then you're about to experience something that he's been wanting to show you the whole time. 
The Lord is calling us up. The Lord has, has revealed to me about things in these days and these times for us. Because I'm not all over the world. I'm here. And I know what the Lord deals with me primarily is here. To help you, to help me, to help us go up together. And He wants to, he wants to reveal Himself in greater ways than He has before. He wants to show you His glory. He wants you to experience His best. Amen. Anybody up for this? Hallelujah. Father, we love you today. We're so thankful for your goodness and your kindness. Thankful for your faithfulness toward us. Even if we've been unfaithful, I thank you that you remain faithful. And Lord, Lord, today we do want and desire to have you in every part of our lives. Every aspect of who we are. Lord, we purpose in our hearts to get serious about seeking you. And I thank you we'll find you. We'll find you our healer. We'll find you our provider. We'll find you our peace. Our sanctifier. Our redeemer and friend. You are our victory to the end. Lord, you're our everything. And we set our hearts to walk with you completely. Father, I thank you today for doing a work in every heart, bringing us up to a higher place. You enable and you empower what we were unable to do in the past, what we struggled to do in days gone by. I thank you even now there's a, there's a, there's a, a resurgence of divine ability, of divine empowerment. To live our lives and and live our lives right. Thank you, Lord. You surround us with your grace today. You're everywhere. And you're in this place. Praise God. I thank you, Lord, for even minds that have been... People struggled in their minds with their thought life. And they feel like they they don't have control. Their thoughts go from thing to thing and they think on things that are, that are not, not right even right now peace I speak peace and control peace to the mind control Lord make them whole so they can meditate on you and keep their minds focused once again I thank you Lord for, for, for the healing if it's neurological in some way Lord it's being fixed it's being made right today. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name. Amen.